Hello everyone, welcome to the Memorial Heights Baptist Church Podcast. Today's message was given by Pastor DJ Ritchie on November 17th, 2021, during our Wednesday evening service. We have services multiple times throughout the week that we would love to see you at. They are Sunday morning Bible study at 9.15 a.m., Sunday morning service at 10.30 a.m., Sunday evening service at 6.30 p.m., and Wednesdays at 6.30 p.m. We also have opportunities for our students to gather. The youth group for grades 6 through 12 meets at 6 o'clock p.m. on Sundays, and our WANA program for 6th grade and under meets at 6.15 p.m. on Wednesdays. We want to thank you for spending time listening today and encourage you to share these messages with a friend so they too might hear the Word of God. For now, grab your Bible, open your ears, and let's get into it. Death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Life has a lot of uncertainty. In fact, life is all about uncertainty, just there are times when we forget that. There are times when we fall into our patterns and we forget that tomorrow isn't guaranteed. We forget that we really don't know what tomorrow is going to bring. Then we do enter seasons where we know that there is uncertainty ahead. We know that there are are questions that we don't have answers to. And those are the times when hopefully we are focusing, refocusing our faith and our trust in God. Now, of course, we always have to walk by faith. James tells us that even when you think you know you have all these plans, I'm going to go here and I'm going to do this, he says, don't be wicked, don't be foolish. Make sure that you're saying, as God wills, if it's God's will, we'll accomplish this. This is what we're planning to do, but let's see what God wants. But whatever season of life you're in, and I know for, for many of us, because of all that we have faced the past uh, almost two years now, um, life has been full of uncertainty. Life has been full of questions. And I think that we can learn a lot from a man in the Bible that God describes as a father to us all. Today we had the opportunity to go to uh, Elijah's kindergarten Thanksgiving play, and uh, they sang some songs, and they did a little, uh, a little play, and it was, it was cute. It was uh, a blessing. Uh, when I was a kid, I can remember singing, Father Abraham had many sons, many sons had Father Abraham. I am one of them, and so are you. So let's just praise the Lord. We're going to stop there, right? We're not going to start shaking our arms and kicking our legs. But I can remember, even as a kid, wondering what that really meant. What does it mean when the Bible says that God uh, has a father for us in Abraham. I mean, what does that really mean, that Abraham is is a father figure for us? And so, Lord willing, over the next few months, we're going to take a close look at this father in the faith and see some lessons that we can learn from God's choosing of and God's working in and through this man 
who was born Abram, but became Abraham. Now, before we dive into this, let's look at a few passages of Scripture. Before we go back to Genesis, let's take a few stops. Let's look at Galatians chapter 3 together. Galatians chapter 3. I want to show you why Abram or Abraham is so important to us thousands of years after Abraham came and gone. Why does God's word speak of him so much, not only in the Old Testament, but here also in the New? Galatians chapter 3, look at verse 7. Know ye therefore that they which are of faith, the same are the children of Abraham, and the Scripture... For seeing that God would justify the heathen, that's me, that's you, I'm a heathen, through faith, I'm justified by faith, I didn't fix myself, I didn't save myself, I didn't clean myself up, I recognized as a child that I was a sinner, separated from God, under condemnation, bound for hell, but that because of God's great love for me, he sent Jesus Christ, his only begotten son, to die on the cross in my place for my sin. He shed his blood in his death, paid for my sin. He rose literally physically from the dead. And I am saved not by my works, but by his grace. And I receive that grace through faith. And the scripture foreseeing that God would justify the heathen through faith preached before the gospel unto Abraham, saying, in thee shall all Nations be blessed. So then they which be of faith are blessed with faithful Abraham. Look also as we start to head towards Genesis. Look at the next book. Well, not the next book over, but one of the next books over. Romans. Romans chapter 4. Romans chapter 4. Romans chapter 1 is why we need to be saved by faith. Romans chapter 2 speaks about the need of the Jew to be saved by faith. Romans chapter 3 speaks about the Gentile, all of our need to be saved by faith. And then when we get to Romans chapter 4, Paul says this is nothing new. Before there was a law of Moses, there was Abraham. Verse 1 of Romans 4 says, What shall we say then that Abraham our father, as pertaining to the flesh, hath found? For if Abraham were justified by works, he hath were of the glory, but not before God. In other words, if Abraham was saved by his works, he would have a lot to brag about here on earth. But he doesn't have anything to brag about before God. God, God was not impressed, as we're going to see, Lord willing, in this series, as we go through the life of Abraham together, that Abraham was far from perfect. And while God did grow him and mature him in his faith, when Abraham starts out, he is far from the model that we are called to follow. Nevertheless, God chose him. Nevertheless, God used him. And so verse 3 says, For what saith the Scripture? Abraham believed God, and it was counted unto him for righteousness. What made Abraham so special? It wasn't his works, it was his God. And it was his faith in God that made the difference 
in his life. See, why is Abraham so important to us believing Gentiles as we go back to Genesis chapter 12 together? Let me give you three reasons while you're turning back to Genesis 12. Number one, Abraham is our spiritual model. He's our spiritual model for saving faith. Number two, Jesus is the literal physical fulfillment. He's the personal fulfillment of the promises that God made to Abraham, not only here in Genesis 12, but throughout the Scriptures. We've seen uh, on Sunday nights many times over the last few months, Revelation 19, verse 10, which says that the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. The reason that we study prophecy is because it's Jesus' testimony. It shows how great he is. It shows how powerful he is that he can say, I'm going to do this thousands of years before he does it. And all the forces of hell can't keep him from fulfilling one single promise. Every promise that he makes, he is able to fulfill. And then also, as we see at the end of the Bible, we're not going to go from Genesis to Revelation literally, but just to reference it, reference it through Abraham's seed, as we'll read here about in just a moment in Genesis 12, Revelation 22 verse 2 records that God does bring healing to the nations. The world is in conflict. That is nothing new. And people are, are, are clamoring and crying for peace and safety. That is nothing new. But the reality is until Jesus Christ sets his foot on the Mount of Olives and splits that mountain, there will not be peace on earth. There is no peace on earth apart from the Prince of Peace. And it doesn't matter how, how powerful the nation or, or how glorious the human leader, until the God-man takes center stage again, there will be no peace. Peace on earth. Now, we're going to be looking here at Genesis chapter 12, where the Lord had said unto Abram, Get thee out of thy country, and from thy kindred, and from thy father's house, unto a land that I will show thee. But let's talk just very quickly about this land and where Abram is coming from. What is his history? We don't know a lot about it in the scriptures. We know enough, though. The Jews have a lot of tradition and a lot of extra-biblical legends surrounding Abraham. But let me remind you, uh, despite all of the Jewish tradition, that Titus 1.14 commands us not to give heed to Jewish fables and commandments of men that turn from the truth. So there are a lot of Jewish Traditions, that does not mean, though, that they are historically fact or that they are even historically close to being fact. And so we have to be careful when we talk about Abraham's background that we don't rely too heavily on Jewish tradition, so much of which, sadly, has been corrupted into what the Apostle Paul calls Jewish fables. But what does the Bible actually say? Well, Joshua 24 says this as Joshua is about to die and, and go off the scene. Joshua had gathered the leaders, and he said unto the people, Thus saith the Lord God of Israel, Your fathers dwelt on the other side of the flood in old time, even Terah, the father of Abraham, and the father of Nahor, and they served other gods. And I took your father Abraham from the other side of the flood, and led him throughout all the land of Canaan, and multiplied his seed, and gave him Isaac. See, here's what we know about Abram in his city of origin. 
And there are debates. A lot, a lot of, of, of us have grown up being uh, told uh, that Ur of the Chaldees uh, was in Iran or somewhere in that region. A lot of uh, more recent biblical scholarship in uh, archaeological evidence would suggest that Ur of the Chaldees was actually in Syria. And I think there, the, the strongest evidence now is that Abraham was from Syria, not Iran. Uh, that fits better with the description of coming across the rivers and, and all of that. But the, but the significant part here is what Joshua says, that he came out of a lineage and a culture of idolatry and paganism. His father was not a believer in the one true God. His father was an idol worshiper. His father served other gods. See, Abraham began a spiritual legacy by leaving a spiritual legacy. He left the service of false gods and he began a new family legacy. I've heard my dad preach many sermons over the years, as you can imagine, being a pastor's kid and uh, hardly ever missing a, 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 a sermon, a service. I can remember even when I was uh, in my 20s and still living at home, Dad, is it, is it okay if I just skip Sunday night tonight? I mean, it's, it's the Super Bowl. Can I, just, can I just see the Super Bowl? You can record it and you can watch the part you missed when you get home is what was what I was told. And that's how it's going to be for us too, for our, for our son, uh, because uh, it's about priorities. But see, I had, the, I had the incredible privilege and responsibility of growing up in a Christian family and uh, knowing my uh, dad's parents who are uh, Christian family, a devout, sincere worshiper of Jesus Christ, followers of Christ. And I have a lot of legacy that is also responsibility. Some of us are continuing a spiritual legacy that we did not begin. But there may be somebody here tonight who you are the first one in your family that trusted in Jesus Christ by grace through faith, not of yourselves. You are the first. You have the privilege of being like Abraham in that you began a spiritual legacy. And as I said, uh, I remember my dad speaking many sermons, but one of the sermons that has really stuck with me, I can't, I can't tell you honestly that I can, I can access, although I know that I was influenced and, and fed by all those messages, the ones that I wasn't uh, <clears throat> sleeping through on a Sunday morning because I stayed up all Saturday night playing video games, um, but just keeping it real. But one of the ones that stuck with me is the message that he preached on either beginning, continuing, or ending a spiritual legacy. He talked about how Abraham had began a spiritual le legacy, how Isaac and Jacob continued a spiritual legacy, but how Ishmael, and he specifically focused on Esau, ended a spiritual legacy. Some of us here are like Abraham, some of us here Lord willing, are like Isaac and Jacob, do not, do not be an Esau. Do not be an Esau who has the spiritual roots, but who cuts those roots off and who departs from the service of the Lord. 
But whatever your past, Abraham helps us to see our past as prologue. And as Christians, we especially are to focus on what lies ahead of us in Jesus Christ. Paul says in Philippians, forgetting the things that are behind and straining towards what's ahead. I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. I am focused, Paul says, on the day that I am going to meet Jesus Christ. And that is what my life is all about. Because, listen, we're all going to stand before Jesus Christ. And if I'm not spending every day between now and that day preparing for that day... I promise you when I get there, I'm going to wish I had. We don't want a life of regret when we stand before our Creator and our Savior. We want a life where we get to hear, well done, that good and faithful servant. That should be the cry of each of our hearts. And Abraham teaches us that regardless of what's in your past, if we are focused on Jesus Christ, Hebrews chapter 12, that we're setting aside the Uh, the weights that hold us back, the sin that easily entangles us so that we can fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, and that we can run the race with endurance. So let's look at this call and command of Abram now in Genesis chapter 12. And let's see the eternal plan set in motion. This is an encounter that Abram had with God to put God's plan into motion, to carry us to where we are today and even into all eternity. Look again at Genesis chapter 12, verse 1. Now the Lord had said unto Abram, Get thee out of thy country and from thy kindred and from thy father's house, the house of idolatry, the house of idol worship, unto a land that I will show thee. I have not shown you that land yet. You've never been there. You don't know what lies ahead, but you walk with me and we'll get there together. And when you do, verse 2, I will make of thee a great nation and I will bless thee and make thy name great and thou shalt be a blessing and I will bless them that bless thee and curse him that curseth thee and in thee shall all families of the earth be blessed. Let's look at those statements that God makes, the commands and the promises here for a moment. And let's look at that phrase, get thee out of thy country. Abram or Abraham teaches us that obedience may require displacement. Now, God does not call all of us to leave our homes. God called me to leave my home and, co- and sent me back. Praise the Lord. I got to come back home. But for a long time, for almost 20 years, I did not live here where I grew up in Cumberland. God sent me to Virginia. God sent me to Kentucky. God sent me up to Scranton, Pennsylvania and Wilkes-Barre, Pennsylvania. And God sent me uh, to different places at different times in my life. But obedience is always going to move us out of our comfort zone. It may not actually move you physically out of your home, but obedience will always displace you out of your comfort zone. And we have to remember what Paul goes on to say in Philippians 3.20, for our conversation, our life, is in heaven, from whence also we look for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. It's why Paul in Colossians says that, listen, you died, Christian, and your life is hid in heaven. That's where your life is. And so we need to be focused on that. Obedience, though, will oftentimes in our life displace us either physically or 
in terms of our comfort level so that we are not focused on this as our home. This world is not our home. It's not. I love the home that God has provided and blessed us with. We don't know how long we'll have that home. I've lived in many different houses over the years. Everywhere we have, everywhere we have called our home has been a fancy hotel room. Even if you've lived there for decades, you are not living there forever. We are living with Jesus Christ if we're saved forever. And so get thee out of thy country. Obedience requires displacement. Notice this next phrase, from thy kindred. You speak about leaving your comfort zone. Understand that obedience may require, essentially, eventually, will require emotional and relational sacrifices. You're going to have to have some emotional sacrifices if you're going to truly follow and walk with Jesus Christ. You're going to have to make some relational sacrifices. There are some friendships that I have not been able to maintain over the years, even though I dearly love those friends because I am headed in one direction and they are not headed in that same direction. We don't have the same priorities. We don't have the same values anymore. And I dearly love those friends. And I want to stay available to them because I want to still be able to influence them. And that is not in any way to suggest that I have got it all together, that I'm anywhere close to being perfect. But I, I'm sp- thinking specifically of, of people who are not saved, friends who are not saved, and other, others who, who claim to be saved but certainly are not exercising any kind of spiritual discernment in their life. You have to be willing to leave your kindred. Jesus said in Luke 14, 26, if any man come to me and hate not his father and mother, not speaking of hate in an emotional sense, but in the sense of choice. Love and hate in the, in, in the Bible are not just emotions. They speak of choice. He says, you have to be willing to choose me over even your own family. If any man come to me and hate not his father and mother and wife and children and brethren and sisters, yea, and his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. Jesus said, if you want to call yourself my disciple, I have to come first. Now, obviously, God doesn't want us to hate our spouses. Obviously, God doesn't want us to hate our parents, hate our children, hate our our friends, our loved ones. But he's saying in terms of choosing, when it comes down to it, I have to be be willing to say Christ first, not Gigi first, not Elijah first, Jesus Christ first, not DJ first, Jesus Christ first. That has to be my mentality, and Abraham is an example of that. Leave thy kindred and go, notice, from thy father's house. Now, that's not just redundant, because understand in this culture how inheritances worked. By leaving his father's house, he was not just leaving his family, he was leaving his inheritance. He was leaving the wealth that was there for him to inherit, and we know there was some wealth because he took wealth with him. So imagine if he was able to take wealth with him, how much wealth there was, how much status there must have been for his family in that community. But he had to leave his father's house. Obedience may and often will require financial sacrifice. God is going to call us. Now, he doesn't call us all as he commanded the uh, rich young ruler to sell all he had. For, For the rich young ruler, what was keeping him from salvation was his wealth. 
And so Jesus said, for you, you're going to you're gonna have to get rid of all of it if you want to come follow me, because that's your God. Riches may not be your God. Riches may not be something that, that God calls you to give up completely. God doesn't call all of us to do that. God called one man in the scripture to do that. But I can promise you that obedience will require financial sacrifices. It will require, I, I had um, one time, uh, and you know, I, just as, way, as a way of example, uh, I have not always been perfect in this. In fact, I've shared with you before that in my 20s and even into my 30s, I, I heaped up lots of credit card debt, and so I was very reckless and unwise with my finances. And so um, there was a time, though, when I was getting all that paid off, and praise the Lord, we don't have any of that kind of debt anymore. But there was a time when I was paying all that off, and I was doing really well, and I, and I saved up some money for something that I wanted for myself, and I was out jogging one day, and I just sensed the Holy Spirit say, give that to missions. I had, it was $150, $200. It wasn't like this huge amount, but I just sensed the Lord say, the Holy Spirit, as I was out jogging and I was out praying, I sensed the Holy Spirit say, give that to missions. Don't use that for what you have been saving it for. Give that to missions. And now, why did God ask me to do that? Well, probably because I had spent so many years spending things for myself with money I didn't even have. And I was charge and charge. Oh, I, you know what? I, I think that would make me feel better. 15 bucks here, 50 bucks there. Charge, charge, charge. And I had all of this debt. And now that I'm finally getting that God out of my life and serving Jesus Christ, and it was like the Holy Spirit gave me a little test. Are you with me? Or are you going to go back into that materialistic mindset? And so uh, I would like to say that I'm always the giver. I'm not. But the Holy Spirit will at times tell us, hey, you need to give that up for me, for my work. Get thee out of thy country, from thy kindred, from thy father's house, unto a land that I will show thee. I will show thee. Obedience always requires faith. We walk by faith, not by sight. And if you're waiting until you see God keep all of his promises before you'll believe his promises, you'll never get to his promises. Because James chapter 1 says that God wants to give you wisdom, but you have to ask in faith, not doubting. Because if you ask for wisdom, you, you have a decision to make, and you're trying to make the right decision, and you're saying, God, give me wisdom, and you, and you say amen, and you turn around and act like God's not going to give you that wisdom, you're not waiting for him to answer that prayer, or you just you pray, and then you think, oh, I don't think he's going to give me that wisdom. I don't think I'm going to be able to make this decision. God's, God says, I, I ain't giving it to you because you've already decided you're not really believing that it's going to be from me anyways. So when I trust God, it's going to require that I step out on faith and trust the promise before I get the promise. Otherwise, it's not faith. So Abraham is an example to us that obedience always requires faith. 2 Corinthians 5, 7, we walk by faith, not by sight. And then all of these blessings that, that we read, I will bless them that bless thee, curse him that curseth thee. Jump down to verse uh, 7. It, verse 6 says, Abram passed through the land unto the place of, 
uh, Sikkim under the plain of Moreh, and the Canaanite was then in the land. And the Lord appeared unto Abram, so he's showing up again now, and he said, Unto thy seed will I give this land. And there builded he an altar unto the Lord who appeared unto him. See, God said, go to the land. When Abram obeyed God, then when he got there, God said, oh, by the way, you get all this too. So Abraham shows us that obedience activates blessing. Some of us don't have blessing because we're not being obedient. God wants to bless you. God wants to pour out blessing, but you're not trusting him and you're not obedient, being obedient. And you're saying, God, show it to me and then I'll obey you. Show me it. Show me the reward. Show me where you're going to take me, and then I'll step out on faith. And God says it doesn't work that way. If you want my blessing, you have to show me your obedience. Jehovah Elohim is a sun and shield. Jehovah gives grace and glory. No good thing will he withhold from him who walks uprightly. Psalm 84, 11. So all of that is testified by this calling and command of Abram. Now, in spite of all of that, we need to talk just for a moment, and we'll pick this up, Lord willing, in a couple weeks. No uh, Wednesday night next week, by the way, um, night before Thanksgiving. I know many of you will have uh, meals to prepare, family that will have people traveling there and there and back again. And so um, you take next week, uh, worship with your family, Thanksgiving. Uh, spend time with your family in thanksgiving and prayer. But notice before we leave tonight that Abram had imperfect obedience. He stumbled out of the gate. God did not choose him because he was already a world-class sprinter in faith. He chose him as somebody who stumbled off the block. How flawed are you? How flawed am I? Well, I've already shared a little bit, just a, just a little bit of how flawed I am. <laughs> There's a lot more I could share. But aren't, aren't you glad that God calls imperfect people? Aren't you glad that God uses us when we are imperfect? He calls us and then equips us. Philippians 1.6, He who began a good work in you, We'll carry it on to completion. It is not finished yet. God's not, God's not finished with any of you yet. He's not finished with any of us yet. And so we also see here that God's calling demands a choice. The Lord said, notice verse 12, uh, excuse me, verse 1 of chapter 12 again. Now the Lord said, is that what it says? The Lord had said. The Lord had said unto Abram, so Abram departed, verse 4. And as the Lord had spoken unto him, and Lot went with him, and Abram was 70 and 5 years old when he departed out of Haran. So there's a lot packed in those two verses. God said, leave your home, which was Ur of the Chaldees, and go to a land I will show you. And Abraham left his home and got as far as Haran. And then he stopped. For how long? We don't know. He started, then he stumbled. 
but the Holy Spirit ain't going let to you, let you alone, is he? Holy Spirit's not going to give up on you. He's going to keep tapping on that shoulder. Now, he will allow us to quench his fire within us. He will allow us to grieve him, but he's not going to leave you. Because if you are God's child, the discipline will come. And we see that in the life of Jonah. Sometime, Lord willing, we'll go through the book of Jonah together. Jonah tried to resist God's calling on his life. He was also another imperfect servant of the Lord. But God's calling will always demand a choice. And so however long it was, finally, Abraham was ready to go. And that's when he got to the land. That's when he received the blessing of the land on his life. Let me give you just a few quick lessons as we wrap this up tonight. I choose the blessing or I choose the bitter consequences of disobedience. So what can we learn from Abraham? Well, first of all, we learn what not to do. We learn to avoid his mistakes so that we can imitate his eventual obedience. So number one, avoid delayed obedience. Avoid delayed obedience. Abram was slow to go. But remember, delayed obedience is really disobedience. Right? Mom and dad say, clean up your room. I'll get to it when I'm good and ready. You put it off and you put it off and put it off. It's like the husband who said to his wife, Quit harassing me about fixing that door. I told you I would do it. You don't need to remind me every three months. Delayed obedience is disobedience. Abram was slow to go. Don't be slow to obey. When the Holy Spirit nudges you in a direction, don't take your, you are losing time. And by losing time, you are losing blessing by delaying. Number two, beware of partial obedience. There are a couple mistakes that are mentioned in this passage Look back at chapter 31. Uh, Terah took Abram, uh, chapter 11, excuse me, verse 31. Terah took Abram, his son, and Lot, the son of Haran, his son's son, and Sarah, his daughter-in-law, and his son Abram's wife. And they went forth with them from Ur of the Chaldees to go to the land of Canaan. And they came unto Haran and dwelt there. And the days of Terah were 205 years, and Terah died in Haran. So the first mistake is that Abram left Ur, but he didn't go far. Now, if Ur in the Bible is the historical city of Urfa in Turkey, which again is different than what has historically been believed, but modern scholarship is now thinking that Abram was from Syria, not from Iran, then Haran is also in Syria. He didn't get very far from his hometown before he decided to settle down. And notice also the second mistake he makes is that he stayed under subjection to his ungodly father who he, told, he was told to leave. Leave your father's household. Leave your kindred. Leave your dad. He's, a, he's an idol worshiper. And leave your father's household. Leave all your inheritance. And he obeyed partially, but notice he takes his dad with him to Haran. 
and he doesn't leave until his dad dies. Now we have to ask, is that why God eventually took his dad's life? Because his dad was holding him back. We don't know that. I, I don't want to go beyond the text. But we know that Terah was not a believer in God. He was an idol worshiper. And the third mistake Abram makes here is that when he left Haran, he takes Lot with him, his father's household, which he was commanded to leave, his kindred, which he was commanded to leave. He brought Lot with him. And if you know the story of Abram, and Lord willing, you will if you don't yet, you're going to see that Lot was a source of sin and a source of conflict in not only Abraham's life, but in his family, in his estate. He ended up bringing problems with him because he did not obey God completely. So beware of partial obedience. But let's, let's end with this tonight. One more. We'll, we'll, stop after, we'll stop with this one. Look again at verse 6. And Abram passed through the land unto the place of uh, Shechem, Shechem, unto the plain of Moreh, and the Canaanite was in the land. And the Lord appeared unto Abram and said, Unto thy seed will I give this land. And there builded he an altar unto the Lord who appeared unto him. And he removed from thence unto a mountain on the east of Bethel and pitched his tent, having Bethel on the west and Hay on the, white, on the east. And there he builded an altar unto the Lord and called upon the name of the Lord. And Abram journeyed, going on still toward the south. Here's something that we can learn is that when we repent of our sin and when we begin to obey God, we need to learn to commemorate those steps of obedience. Now, you don't have to build a literal altar, right? Because our altar is the cross of Jesus Christ. We don't offer sacrifices anymore because Jesus Christ is the once for all sacrifice. His, his death paid for sin once for all. Sin is no longer just covered. It is now removed. Back in Abraham's day, they had to cover their sin with an animal sacrifice as a, as a witness. But the principle that we can apply to us is that he commemorated his repentance. He commemorated his obedience. And so I don't know what that would look like in your life. It might look like coming forward during an invitation and making a, a commitment. It, it, might may, uh, it might look like uh, you actually building something or putting, you know, writing a verse down or something and putting it in your office or putting it up in your house so that every time you look at that verse, you can remember the commitment that you made. I don't know what it would look like for your life, but here's what I do know. You need to commemorate that commitment in a way that is going to remind you, in a way that's going to stand as a memorial, not because we sacrifice on it, but because it reminds me that, hey, I, I failed, I repented, God's forgiven me, and now I'm heading south. <laughs> I'm heading south. I'm like Abram, I'm going to where God has led me. I'll, hopefully you're not actually led south. I know some of you are headed south soon. If you get that car working. But wherever your south is, whatever God has led you to do, let's commit to commemorating those steps of obedience. Let's close in prayer. Father, we thank you for the testimony of your servant Abraham. God, a father of faith to all of us who have faith. And, and God, may we learn from his mistakes. We thank you, God, that your word is about truth. And it doesn't... Uh, whitewash uh, and it doesn't uh, hide God the flaws of the men and women who served you 
that God, you deal with, uh, with us as you dealt with them in the reality of our brokenness and the, in the reality of our flaws and who we are. And yet, God, we see that you use flawed men and women, God, to bring glory to you and to, um, to serve you. And so, God, may we be encouraged by that, God, uh, and may we learn to walk by faith as Father Abraham because we serve a great and awesome God who loves us, who sent, God, you sent your only begotten son for us. God, what more can we give you but everything that we have because everything that we have is from you anyways. We love and thank you. We ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, that's all for today. I hope this has made a positive impact in your relationship with Jesus. If you have never accepted Christ as your Savior and you would like to know how, please give one of our pastors a call at 301-724-5876. We would love nothing more than to share the good news with you. We hope to see you soon, and until next time, stay faithful.